0: Welcome everyone, you are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. So what do you do if you're the president and you know the intel has been given to you that two countries are getting ready to attack you? What do you do? That was a situation that King Ahaz of the southern kingdom of Judah discovered and found out that Syria... And the northern kingdom at that time called Israel, we're going to attack him and we're going to attack Israel or attack Jerusalem. What does King Ahaz do? Well, he's full of fear and in fear he says, I need help. Where does he turn? Rather than turn to God, he turns to not Syria who is going to be attacking him. He turns to Assyria, the Assyrians, rather than turn to God. Big mistake. Big mistake. God tells him through the prophet Isaiah that God would end up actually using the one you turn to, the Assyrians, to devastate the nation, to bring destruction about to your nation. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 22 tells us that there would only be distress and darkness and a fearful gloom The passages in Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 8 tell us that in the end, Syria, Israel, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and Assyria, that all of them would come to a ruinous end. And it talked about there being darkness, pitch darkness. Then enters Isaiah chapter 9. And it's in this time of turmoil. It's in this time of fear for the people. It's in this time of darkness. It's in this time of a very uncertain future that the Messiah was introduced. The ideal king was introduced, the delivering king. The one who would bring light to the darkness. He would be the only one who could actually truly save the people, set the people free, bring about an everlasting shalom or peace. It's the passage we looked at last week. And God delivered the message to Isaiah and said to these people in the midst of these circumstances, for to us a child is born and to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders, not King Ahaz. And he will be called. There was a name. And what was the name? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of of peace. Isaiah gives to us the person, the character, and the roles of this great deliverer, and he does so in the most spectacular terms that his language could actually achieve to describe this Savior. The Savior has a fourfold name. The name of the Savior would change everything for them, change everything for the world, change everything for you and I, Last week, we talked about the name of this Savior being the wonderful counselor. And because Jesus knows that you and I will walk away from his counsel, wonderful counselor, but we're going to walk away from it. We're going to walk away from his advice. We're going to walk away from his wisdom. That's why God tells us that the name of the child born to us is also almighty God, mighty God. Who would ever need a God to be mighty if we had always followed his wonderful counsel. But the reality is, and maybe you figure this out for yourself, we do wander from God's counsel. And I don't know if you figure this out, but I've discovered that every single time I wander from God's path, God's way, God's counsel, every time I do that, I create a mess for myself. Have you figured that to be true in your own life? And so we need somebody who's powerful, We need a mighty God to intervene. Ironically, this mighty God would come to us as a small, helpless, totally dependent infant. And yet Isaiah says the child will have limitless power as indicated by the name. The name, mighty God. Mighty God in Hebrew is two words, El Gabor, El Gabor. El is the shortened form of the name or the, the name Elohim. The most used word to describe God, the most used name of God in what we call our Old Testament. The very first verse of the Bible that we read it, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Anybody want to take a guess what the word was for God there in Hebrew? In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Elohim, the mighty one who creates. Now, the Hebrew word gabor means strong. It means a warrior. It means powerful, mighty. Gabor is used only of those who carry out great deeds and exceptional uh, accomplishments. Gabor was never a word you used to describe a child. And yet Isaiah says this child is gabor from birth. He is born strong and mighty. He is born exceptional. When you have a child, you think your child's exceptional, right? Everybody thinks that about their own child. My grandchild's born, I'm thinking, oh, Hala, she's the most exceptional. And It's not what we're talking about, the way we use the word. He's exceptional in the Gabor sense of the word. El Gabor, this child, this savior, is the creative power of the universe wrapped in swaddling cloths. Now, what does it mean that Jesus, El Gabor, is a mighty God? The prophet Jeremiah, I think, describes it well for us. And he says this, uh, of this mighty God. He says, uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter 32, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great, and we're going to say this word a lot this morning, by your great what? Say it with me. By your great, by your great, By your great power and outstretched arm. And so what's that implication for that? What does that mean for us? By his great power. He says, nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for you. I'm pretty sure that all of us in this room this morning or watching online, that we have some type of problem, challenge, or issue that we are dealing with. As we talked about last week. If your marriage is a mess, you need to know nothing is too hard for God. If you've lost your job, lost your business perhaps, maybe you're here this morning, you don't know where to turn. No matter how bad it looks, you need to understand nothing is too hard for him. Maybe the doctor has given you some terrible news about your health or the health of someone that matters to you. Let me just tell you, nothing, 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 nothing is too hard for God. If your future seems uncertain, if your future is bleak, if your future looks like darkness, you don't see a light at the end of the tunnel, you need to know nothing is too hard for God. Jesus is mighty God. El Gabor no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance you find yourself in, Jeremiah tells us nothing is too hard for the Lord. Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 10 that all things are possible with God. Now, now I don't know about you, but when I think about Jesus as, as mighty God, El Gabor, when I think about that and that nothing is too hard for him, my mind wanders a little bit to the omnis, The omnis of God, you know those omni words that describe God? For example, God is omniscient, which means he knows everything. The Bible tells us in Psalm 139 and other places that he actually knows your thoughts, which means some of you are in trouble right now. (laughs) Jesus is El Gabor, omniscient. He knows everything. You know what that means? It means whatever you're going through right now, it's not a surprise to him. He knows. He's aware. Jesus, El Gabor, mighty God, is also omnipresent, which means God is everywhere. Now, of all the attributes and characteristics of God, for me, this is the one that trips me out the most. I don't know if it is for you, but for me, I'm like, what? What? You're everywhere all at once? I, I I can't comprehend that. Oh, because I have a finite mind that the one who is everywhere, he's the one who created this mind. And so I have to kind of go down those mental gymnastics, and then I just kind of end up settling like, you know, like a little baby. like I, He's everywhere. God is always present. Jesus, mighty God, is also omnipotent, which means God can do anything. He has and is unlimited power. He is almighty. He is all-powerful. He can do anything. And even though I know, and I think some of you, maybe all of you know, all of this is absolutely true, there are times when I just don't see it. And I definitely don't feel it. Can anybody relate? You know Mentally, he's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-everything. You know it, but you don't see it, you don't feel it. I mean, I look around the world, and at any given moment in time, there are tens of millions of people around the world suffering, always, perpetually. Famines, floodings, hurricanes, destruction, people dying of, from war or disease. And then I think about the pain and the suffering of those I actually know. And it brings it home. And I find myself praying and asking, God, where is your power? Where is your you can do anything power? Where is your mighty Godness, if you will? Have any of you ever thought that way? Have you ever wondered that? I have. Uh, because of what happened to my dad. During Christmas of 2008. Christmas since then has kind of been a bittersweet thing for me. Late November of that particular year, my dad went in for a routine knee surgery. Uh, he went in for that surgery and uh, I'd call my mom and I'd you know check in, "Hey, how's Dad doing? How's it going? and is everything okay?" And talk to him?" And she said he was okay, but he had some issues pop up. He wasn't getting better. Those issues, you know when you go have surgery anywhere and you have those surgeries and there's all the fine print that they have you sign, this may cause this. You know those pills you take, this may cause, you you never think anything of it. Well, one of those little asterisks popped up for him, having nothing to do directly, if you will, with a knee surgery. I would chat with my dad through it, but I, I, honestly, I wasn't thinking much of it. My mom wasn't really worried, you know. It was like, okay, it's just kind of lingering on. After a couple weeks, I, I casually asked my mom, hey, mom, maybe I should come swing down. I mean, getting closer to Christmas, i got Christmas Eve services coming in a couple weeks. Should I, should I come down? And she's like, no, nah, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. I'll be home in a couple days. Then a week, week and a half later, my mom calls me. And says, I think you need to come down. She says, I think you should come as soon as possible. And I'm like, um, What do you mean? This is all close to Christmas Eve. And as um, you're a pastor, you have two Super Bowls a year, <laughs> right? Christmas Eve services and an Easter, right? So like, Mom, you're talking like in a, like after Christmas Eve? and She's like, no. I think you need to come down right now. Jumped on a plane, flew down, went straight to the airport, or excuse me, straight to the hospital. I show up and I see him like it was, not, it was worse than I imagined. It was awful. Tried to talk to, with him a little bit, stayed with him that evening, and then went home to my mom's place. Early that morning, we get a call saying, Come down to the hospital right now. We're getting ready to put him on a ventilator. I'm like, what? Excuse me? Really? And so I rushed down there. During that time that I saw him the night before, my dad was on what's called Bi- I think it's called the BIPAP. Some of you might be familiar with that. It's that thing they give you oxygen and it kind of sucks to your face and and just to help him breathe. And because he was having a hard problem and his lungs and all that were kind of messed up from the surgery and so the knee surgery and so. Um, I get there and and we're kind of talking a little bit and he looks at me and I'll never forget. I'll never forget his eyes. I'll never forget the moment he lifts that thing off and you kind of hear the air and suck it off. He, he looks at me and says, um, son, am I going to die? Um, you don't want to ever answer that question. I'm like... No, Dad, no, Pops, you're fine. Everything's good. They just, you need a little help breathing. They're going to put you on this thing, and you'll be fine. Everything's good. I don't know if he saw it in my eye. I don't know what, I don't know. All of a sudden, he says, I owe Cameron $40. You need to pay him right now. (laughs) I'm like, Dad, uh, (laughs) whatever. He looks at me, son, you give him $40. I owe him. I'm like, all right, Pops, all right. Sitting there a little bit later, and he kind of wakes up a little bit and takes it off again. He says, son, under my computer keyboard, there's money. You take that money, and you pay for your flight. I'm like, okay, whatever. And he's like, son, you take the money. I'm like, dad, it's fine. It's fine. Son, you take the money. You know, he, I mean, he was just like getting intense here. I was like, all right, dad, I'll do it. I'll do it. Sat him a little longer, a few more moments. So, said, dad, I love you. They came in, put him on the ventilator where he sat. And for the next two weeks, we stared at the machines wanting to see those numbers go up, the oxygen levels, all that. And then during that time, I'm begging God, God, this is ridiculous. God, he had a knee surgery. How did we get here? You're a mighty God. You can do anything. God, Dad's way too young. Come on, God. I want him to see his grandkids grow up more. I want him to see them graduate. I want to see him to see them get jobs, get married, have grandkids. It's ridiculous, God. Would you take care of this? And on January 2nd? He passed away. His last coherent words <laughs> were about giving to his family, by the way. That's just the kind of person he was. My dad was and is, of course, with the Lord. Praise God for that. But I got to tell you, in those couple weeks, in the midst of all that, as I was trying to be strong for my family, my brother came up with this phrase, which I actually think is pretty funny, but I think it's probably true. Some of you might relate. As we were going through all this, my brother said the phrase, and everybody was different and acting different. He was like, hey, everybody has a role to play. Maybe some of you are like, hey, that's eye-opening to my family, right? Because you're a kind of, oh, that, expl- like, that was like profound. Everybody has a role to play. So Pastor Chris playing his role, being strong for the family. But i got to tell you, in the midst of all of that, my time with just me and the Lord, I was internally wrestling with a mighty God. I was praying my guts out harder than I've ever prayed in my life before. God, where in the world is your power? Aren't you a mighty God? This is Christmas time. You know, I'm familiar with Isaiah chapter 9. Come on, God. And I kept saying the phrase, this is ridiculous. This is insanity. Come on, God, just take care of this and make dad better. Are you kidding me? Has anybody ever felt the way I'm describing? Anybody here ever been there? And you're crying out. And you are saying, God. Where is your power in my life? This is ridiculous, God. Just take care of it. And some of you, you're in a real tough spot right now. You're in a relationship and you're thinking, God, where are you? You've had dreams for something to happen. It hasn't happened yet. And you're saying, God, where in the world is your power? You can bring this about. Maybe like me, you've been praying for healing a healing that God could easily do, and you're pleading with God to display his unlimited power. Come on, God, this is ridiculous. Just take care of it. You can do anything. This is so easy for you. Here's what I discovered through all of this, through all this searching and praying and talking to God. You and I want God's Mighty power in the way we expect and the way we hope for. We know he's mighty. We want it really kind of on our terms. But one of the most difficult truths to accept is that the mighty power of God, the mighty power of Jesus in our life is oftentimes displayed in ways we may not see or expect. The mighty power of God may be displayed in ways we do not see or we do not expect. So what are those ways? Let me give you a few of those today. For example, Jesus's mighty power is at work in you. In you. Everybody say, in me. Together, let's say it. In me. Say, in me. me. Say, in me. me. Jesus's mighty power is at work in me. Philippians chapter 2 says, uh, as Paul's writing to the Uh, Christians in Philippi, he says, God is working where? God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what? To do what pleases him. You see, after we give our life to Jesus, there is often for most an immature season that we go through thinking that Jesus is supposed to make our life easier. We go through this season, hey, Jesus came to give us abundant life, real life, real and better life than we could ever imagine. Life to the fullest, right? John 10, 10. I thought my life would be easier. We go through this immature season where we believe that Jesus will remove our pain and our problems, but God's God's mighty power, it doesn't work to make our life easy or comfortable. That's not how God's mighty power works. God uses his mighty power to work in us to change us. Not to change our circumstances. He works in us to change us. God's mighty power is working in you to change you. To make you more into the image of Christ. To move you from a place, to move me from a place of selfishness and self-centeredness to displaying the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. All the fruits of the Spirit. He works in you to give you the desire to actually not want to please yourself, the verse says, but to please him. 1 Peter chapter 1, his divine power has given us everything we need for godly living. I mentioned my dad earlier. Here's what you need to know about my dad. My dad was one messed up dude prior to getting saved. Anybody here like, hey, that's me, that was me. He was a Vietnam vet who suffered greatly from PTSD. His exposure to Agent Orange had a huge effect on him physically. He was an alcoholic, lost his family. Emotionally and spiritually, you just couldn't be further from God. But God, who is mighty in power, decided to save him. And the mighty power of God opened my dad's heart and life to him, and he was saved, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He surrendered to him, and God spent the next 30 years working in him, changing him. God's mighty power was transforming him from the inside out. And my dad was so much more like Jesus on the day he went to be with Jesus than he ever was on the day he came to give his life to Christ. And boy, I got to tell you, it sure seems slow at times. I'm like, really? God's mighty power's working because it doesn't look like it. But I'm reminded of Philippians chapter one, verse six, that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God's mighty power was working in him to change him. God's mighty power is working in you to change you. Sure, it seems slow at times, but God is working in you. So, don't give up on God. Don't give up on yourself. And please, please, please don't give up on other people because God hasn't given up on them and he's working in them. Jesus' mighty power is working in you to change you, to make you more like himself. But Jesus' mighty power is also working for you. Everybody say, for me. me. Say, for me. me. Jesus' mighty power is working for me. Let's listen to Isaiah chapter 40. He says, God gives strength to the weary and increases the what? Increases the? Increases the? The power of those who are weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those, notice what it says, those who hope in the Lord, they will renew their strength. Maybe it took everything in you to get here today, to just show up. Maybe you've got problems. You're worn out, you're weary, and maybe some of you right now today, you're devastated. The good news is God gives strength and power to the weary, to the worn out, and to the devastated. God's mighty power is at work for you. It's for you. His mighty power is giving you strength. Paul tells us, here's how God's power works for us, 2 Timothy chapter 1. God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. And so how do you and I actually get Jesus' mighty power working for us? How does that happen? Let's listen to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 again. We get strength and we get power, and power increases when he said, those who hope in the Lord, they're the ones whose strength is renewed. Isaiah writes this passage to people who are struggling. They needed deliverance. They were in darkness. They were desperate. And they were wondering, when does this end? What's next? And in the midst of all of it, they continued to hope. They continued to expect God to provide merciful intervention into their lives And the more they hoped and the more that they trusted in God, the more that the mighty power of God lifted them up, built them up, strengthened them, gave them a renewed strength. And so if you're here and you feel weak, if you're here and you feel helpless, feeble, devastated, whether emotionally, mentally, spiritually, circumstantially, if you would hope and continually trust in him, his mighty power will work for you. His mighty power will work for you because it will renew your strength. The Apostle Paul, he wrote much of the New Testament. He had a weakness. He asked God to remove it from him. He didn't ask just once, he continued to ask and ask and ask. He continually put his hope and trust in God. God? Come on. It's ridiculous. My words take it away. This is easy. Nothing's too difficult for you, Jeremiah, right? You're mighty God. You're omni this, omni that. Nothing's too hard for you. God responds to him. And he says to him, and maybe this is the message for some of you today, as you're wondering in your weakness, in your devastation, in your turmoil, in your pain, God responds to Paul and says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, my grace is all you need. It's all you need. Now why? Why is God's grace all that we need? Notice why. He says, let's say it again together, my what? My my what? My my power works best in weakness. And so then Paul replies and he says, so now I am boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Paul says he wants God's power working for him in his life. And so then he goes on to say something interesting in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, the next verse, he says, so this is why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. Listen to his last sentence. Paul says, for when I'm weak, that's when I'm actually strong. The strange biblical truth for you and I to wrap our heads around is that the power and the strength of a mighty God, of El Gabor, it comes to us not when we're strong, not when we're mighty, not when we have it all together, not when everything's laid out clear and we have a perfect plan. It comes to us when we're weak, downcast, hurting, in pain. That's when his power is there for us. So I just wonder who needs a mighty God in their corner today? Is that you? Somebody's saying, yeah, I need it. I need it. I need God working for me. I'm in a mess that I made for myself. I'm in a mess that somebody else created for me. I need a miracle working God. I need a Satan defeating God. I need a circumstance changing God. I need an overcoming God to show up and apply his power, and that he would work for me. He is mighty God, Jesus, El Gabor, the Savior. So continue continue to trust in him, put your hope in him, and his power will work for you. And finally, Jesus' mighty power will work through you. Everybody say, through me. Say, through me. me. Say, "Through through me. Through me. I want you to read 2nd, I want to read Second Corinthians uh, chapter 12, one more time. It says this. God said, "My grace is all you need, my power works best in weakness." So then Paul said, "So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Jesus' mighty power works through your weakness, but it also works through your witness. What am I talking about? in Acts chapter one, Verse eight, Jesus told his followers, his disciples, he said, you will receive, and let's say it one more time together. You will receive what? You will receive, what will you receive? You'll receive power. You're getting a the theme here a little bit about almighty God. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my what? Notice he says, you'll be my witnesses. In other words, you're gonna tell, every, you're gonna people, tell people everywhere about me. You're gonna do it in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Whether you're a stay-at-home parent, teacher, an athlete, a scientist, public servant, business owner, whatever it is you do, if you're a follower of Jesus, then scripture tells us you're his witness. And the mighty power of God is working through you to testify about Jesus, to testify about this light of the world that came into a dark world. You say, I I don't know. I don't know if I can do that, if I can be a witness. It's hard to be a witness. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. Listen, Jesus, mighty God, El Gabor, he's working through you. It's not your power. It's not your strength anyway. All you do is share your story of how God has changed your life and let God do the rest. We've talked this last year or so about your SOI. Maybe some of you are starting, "Ah, I keep hearing that, S-O-I, your sphere of influence. You have a sphere of influence. Are you praying for them? Are you praying and praying for the opportunity to invite them to church, to invite them to to a Christmas Eve service? Are you praying for them, looking for opportunity to share your story with them? Just know when you and I talk about Jesus, it's not our words that are changing their lives. It's the mighty power of God working through you and through me that changes lives. Paul said this. He said in 1 Corinthians, my message and my preaching, they were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the, I guess we got to say it again, I rely only on the? Power. On the? Power. The power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of of God. Think about what Jesus' mighty power did through his 12 disciples. Ordinary guys, plain guys, common guys. They weren't leaders, they weren't powerful men, they weren't highly educated. They were common, ordinary. But what did they do? They allowed the power of God to work through them. And because they allowed the power of God to work through them, God used them to do mighty miracles and literally transform the world. Jesus's mighty power is working through you. It's not you, it's not your words. It's his power through you to change the world. Jesus, the name, El Gabor, Mighty God, his mighty power is at work in you to change you. His mighty power is working for you, especially when you're weak. That's when his power is oh so strong. And his mighty power is working through you to be his light, his testimony, his witness to a dark world. So where do you need the mighty power of God in your life today? Is it in you? For you? Through you? Or you're like, man, I'll take all of them. Let's go to God and let's pray about that now. Heavenly Father, almighty God, we come before you. Today, keenly aware that you sent to us El Gabor, a mighty God. And God, a lot of us have... Had to even learn the hard way that we often want you to work your mighty power the way we hope, the way we expect, but you often do it in ways we don't realize or hope or expect. That you work in ways we don't even see. So I want to encourage everybody here right now. You and God have a moment where you talk to one another. How do you go? How do you want God working in your life? In you? for you, through you. Talk to them about that now. Jesus, you're hearing our prayers as we cry out to you. And I suspect there's some people in this room right now, Jesus is not yet your Lord and Savior. God sent him to this earth because he loves you so much that he wants to have a relationship with you. He has the power to save you, to change you, to transform you. And if you're here and you're saying, that's what I need. I need God in my life. I need Jesus to come in and save me. If that's you, I want to invite you right now to pray with me. And it won't be the exact words. It's more that you'll mean these words in your heart. And if you pray this, Jesus, in faith, Jesus will come into your life and he will save you. He will give you the hope of heaven. He will transform you and begin his good work in you. So if that's you and you say, I'm ready, pray something like this. Just say, Jesus, thank you so much for loving me so uh, enough to choose to die on a cross for my sins, a cross that I should have died on. And So thank you for giving me the opportunity to experience eternal life with you. So as best as I understand right now in faith, I surrender my life to you. Come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior as I choose to no longer live for myself, but to live for you. Jesus, my life is yours. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Jesus, you've heard our prayers. You've heard our cries out to you. Would you be mighty in our life as you work in us, for us, and through us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.